meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is meditation in the city. The Shambhala New York podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Crying to the Sky. Can avoiding unhappiness actually cause our unhappiness? What would it mean to open up our heart and our mind to the entirety of our lives? To cry out to a greater world? Today we are joined by Joseph Mauricio. Joe is a longtime student of Shambhala Buddhism, as well as an author, speaker, coach, teacher, and chaplain. As the founder of LifeWork Mindfulness-Based Coaching Services, Joe offers Buddhist and Shambhala training principles to help private and corporate clients manifest lives of dignity, sanity, and strength. This talk was recorded in 2014. Here's Joe to take away the discussion. How many of you have ever been unhappy? (laughs) How many have ever felt overwhelmed? Unclear, unsure. (laughs) Well, it's not going to get any better (laughs) just because you came here. So I just want to start with the fine print. If that's okay, because those things, that kind of confusion, chaos, and unclarity, uncertainty, is what life is about. And I think that journey to try to get away from the uh, difficulties in life kind of make life more difficult, if you know what I mean. It's very interesting. So many people are so searching for happiness, looking for happiness, and judging their experience by this dream of happiness. (laughs) What would that be like? What would it be like if you were happy? What would you have? Sure. I was talking about her, but she's not answering, so let's... uh, How about both of you? Yeah. Sunny days. So cloudy days make you unhappy. Yeah. Cloudy days are different than sunny days. Yeah. And what about you? You're actually kind of good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Are you ever not good? What does what happens when you're not good? Just overwhelmed. So it's good when things come at a pace that you can handle them and not so good when things flood in a little bit. Mhm. What's that? Ebb and flow. Yeah, that's interesting. What makes us happy? What makes you happy? Does it make you unhappy to have to answer questions in, in front of 150 people that are... Well, I'm not going to put anybody else on the spot, but it is interesting that if you have secretly, you know, in your mind or in your heart somewhere, some belief that something has to be a certain way before you can be happy or before you can really take control of your life, that's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? I believe that before I can really manifest fully and completely, I have to finally lose the 20 pounds that I've been working on for about 20 years. (laughs) And at some point, you know, I'm going to have to wake up and go, look, (laughs) why don't I just get on with my life and take the 20 pounds with me, right? 
you know, at some point, I think we have to wake up and go, you know what, I'm never going to repair that issue with my mom. I'm never going to make my dad happy. I'm never going to get everything just right. That one time that I was sort of hurt in my childhood, maybe that'll never get repaired. You know, the viciousness, the difficulties, the trauma that we've experienced growing up, maybe those things can actually, instead of being reasons why we don't manifest our life, why we don't fully and completely just open up to our world, maybe those things could be ways that we actually do manifest in our life. Does that make sense? Like maybe the very things that you think are holding you back actually are making you interesting. Actually maybe even give you a way into understanding other people's difficulties. You see, the way we're hurt damaged, confused, is actually our way in to understanding other people's hurt, damage, and confusion. You think that the world will like you better if your world just hits 100% and everything is perfect and great, and actually people will just hate you for that. Because <laughs> you'll be so out of their league, you know, right? We all have that one friend, don't we, that has it all together and it's like, oh God. Whatever. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think it's great when people have it together, but nobody really has it together because the people that have it together still have to go home at night, close their eyes, be with themselves, and find those places inside that they don't find complete, completely satisfying. Places where they're insecure and they're frightened. We all know people with money who are miserable, right? We all know people who are beautiful with looks that don't think they're beautiful, right? It's all in our own head, frankly. Whether we decide to enjoy our life and open up to it, or whether we decide to use the things that we think make us unhappy as excuses, frankly, not to open up and come out and play. It's kind of like the universe is going, hey, come out and play, and we're like, Pfft. Call this springtime? 45 degrees? This sucks. Go away. <clears throat> I'm going to stay in bed a little longer. Come out and play. Come out and play. No, I can't. I'm damaged. Come out and play. I'm overweight. Come out and play. I procrastinate. <laughs> Come out and play. I still haven't done my taxes. Come out and play. I don't care. The universe doesn't really care. You know, on some level, there's a huge field of power and awareness out there in the beyond our own scope, you know? Outside of New York City even. Do you know that? That there is life and I don't mean Brooklyn, I mean even even beyond that. There's there's an entire world with trees and rocks and flowers and wind and clouds. And it all created itself somehow or was created by someone somehow. How did that happen? Why did that happen? I don't know that I can answer those questions, certainly not tonight, but, you know, I do think I'd like to point to the fact that the fact that we are here at all is an amazing, amazing occurrence, that it's pretty freaking brilliant. And if you walked out tomorrow and almost got hit by a truck and your whole life passed in front of your eyes, and then you woke up and went, wow, what have I been waiting for? Well, you can do that right now. You could just pretend that 
truck almost hit you and you almost died. And now you could look at yourself and go, what am I waiting for, really? Is it going to become perfect? If we leave this life at some point and look back upon it, we might go, oh, it wasn't so bad. Have you ever had the experience of really difficult time in your life? Like, how many people moved here from somewhere else? <laughs> okay. How many people found that first year really difficult? Okay. But do you, do you, do you have the, ex how many people have the experience of looking back at it as a pretty beautiful thing? Like, really, not that many. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's like those first two years in New York are really something, aren't they? Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> it is just amazing. New York can show you, um, you know, sub-basements to your emotional sort of depressive reality. You know, it, it is amazing. I mean, if you suffer from some sense of insecurity, New York could just grind that into the ground. It could just so amplify that. But I think that that's amazing, actually, because this is where we came, all of us, even if we were born into it, we sort of came here to kind of see ourselves. It's an amazing mirror, isn't it? It's like you really get to see your mind. There's not a lot of kind of opportunity to just not pay attention to yourself here. This is really a place where you have to be on your game on some level. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we have to be hard on ourselves? Does that work? Or does it mean that maybe we need to start to believe in ourselves and learn to encourage ourselves and open up and go, this is my opportunity. Why the hell else would I be paying $1,200 for a shoebox? You know? Why the hell else would I go through Union Square at rush hour? Why would I be here with jackhammers blaring with this horrible excuse for a spring happening? Why would I actually be putting myself through this if not to actually wake up and be part of something really tremendous? This is a tremendous town, and it's a fantastic place to be, despite how difficult it can be. Same could be said of any town, and same could be said of every place in the world. Maybe Peoria isn't your place, but it is for some people. But on some level, all of us are born into something magical tremendous and powerful and wonderful. And all of us are spiritual beings that have taken this opportunity to don these clothes of meat and kind of walk around in this existence and begin to see what it's like to be here. What does it feel like to be here? What does it taste and smell like to be here? What is the experience of being human? The experience of being human. One of the things that spiritual practices do for people is give them a connection to things greater or bigger or beyond themselves. Typically, and classically, Buddhism looks at that a little bit skeptically. It says a little bit like, what is beyond yourself and what is greater than yourself really and what is it that you're looking for out there? What is it that you believe? Or do you just believe what you've been told to believe? And are you believing what your parents believe and they're believing what their parents believe? Or are you really investigating? Are you really waking up and looking? But that kind of skepticism, that intellectual pursuit of what your experience actually is, not what you were told it is or what you feel like some being is telling you it is, but actually what do you feel? 
That's very Buddhist, right? About waking up and paying attention to yourself. But sometimes that has gone and been taken too far. It's as though there's nothing out there, and I don't think that that's the point. Because to me, to negate the parts of reality that we just don't see, and to say that it's not there because we can't pay for it or we can't quantify it, sort of limits our experience. So, Buddhist teachings talk about the middle way, not too tight, not too loose. The middle way between being overly theistic about things, like hoping and praying and believing the universe is going to take care of you if you never get out of your house, just sort of waiting for things to happen because you believe they'll happen. But there's another extreme, which is to not believe that there's any help at all or there's any energy in the world or the universe that you could be part of. So somehow, we talk about joining heaven and earth. We talk about the practicality of the earth, the limitations of your life. That's all true. If you don't work, you can't pay the rent. If you don't pay the rent, you get kicked out of your house. If you get kicked out of your house, your life does really become difficult. We have to take care of business, don't we? But life isn't just business, is it? If it is, why do it? Why be here? We're here because this is magical. We're here because this is brilliant and this is tremendous. But the fact that it's magical doesn't mean we could just walk down the street and go, well, it's magical. <laughs> Screw work. <laughs> I'm a magic being. <laughs> oh, that's played out. Forget it. Move to California then. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Oh, they have to work in California too. They, they do. Uh, this doesn't look like work, but they have to do it. And uh, it's really funny. Do you have that experience? I've had that experience a couple of times. A friends of mine that move out to, to California, actually just recently, my friend Justin here. And, you know, they, they always like get on the phone and go, you know what? Life doesn't have to be as hard as we think it does. <laughs> It can be so much easier. But we're here in New York. It's hard here, right? It's hard here. But we can lose sight of the fact that it's also brilliant and beautiful. How often do you go and see the water? You know there's water all around this island? <laughs> you know there's trees and stuff in that park in the middle and in all these different places? There are places that we can connect to the earth, to the truth of being human. Do we ever do it? I don't know. We get sucked into our life. Well, that happens in California, frankly, and it happens in Montana, and it happens everywhere. People get sucked into their life thinking that all they have to do is pay the rent, and they have to work hard, and they have to live up to all these expectations, and they don't even know what they are, and they lose sight of the fact that life is brilliant. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And that actually we have access to an enormous amount of power outside of ourselves. As long as we don't believe, it's different than ourself. Thus the middle way, joining heaven and earth. You see, it's in our physical form that we touch the spiritual. It's on the earth that we contact heaven. It's by paying attention, being mindful of the details, that we see the real beauty and brilliance of the world. Does that make sense? Instead of chasing this dream and following kites in the sky, 
and never getting anywhere, or conversely being so slogging and dutiful in our life that we're working so hard and never raising our gaze and seeing the sky, right, are the two extremes. The object, I think, of meditation, particularly as I want to kind of introduce it or sort of introduce you to it, is this idea of joining heaven and earth, of bringing integration into the situation, whereby you are present in your physical body, present on the physical earth, and open to the possibility of the brilliance of heaven. Does that make sense? I think that there are a lot of people that think that they have to somehow scale the heights of spirituality, go beyond their own physical form, become transcendental. And the brain can do that. The spirit can do that. The spirit's like, screw the body. I can be brilliant. I can go anywhere I want. Body still has to pay the rent. Body's the thing that's going to die. Body's the thing that limits you. So not to pay attention to that is foolhardy, I think. But it's also turning our back on a great wealth of possibility because it's you in your physical form that creates real power in the world. You imagining all these wonderful things about yourself doesn't really attract any great wealth in the world. Until we can embody what we believe, until we can embody the truth of our heart's desire, we never really receive it. So very interestingly, it's, if there's something you think will make you happy, be that happiness. And that thing might come. Does that make sense? Be that sunny day, even in the middle of a cloudy day. Be that love in the middle of discordance and difficulty. Be the thing that you think you want, and then you'll have it. Does that make sense? Like, if you can be the person you're looking for, you don't have to look for them anymore. Because they'd be right here. You see what I mean? If this life could become the life you're looking for, because it is magical and it is brilliant, but it's also very present and very here, then it changes everything, doesn't it? It takes the whole weight of looking for something better off the table and allows us to use all that energy to begin to explore what's actually here, the depth and completeness of this life just as it is, just how it could be. I think a lot of people are looking for something wonderful and missing the really powerful life that's actually here. That's kind of a shame. Kind of a shame to be looking for things that aren't there and missing the sort of power and potential that is there. In meditation practice, then, I don't think should just be in the brain. And I think that that's one misinterpretation of the practice. Maybe it's just a limitation of the practice. A lot of people have thought for a long time that that's what meditation is. Well, it's my mind. Am I thinking? Am I not thinking? Am I present? Am I not present? Should I come back to the breath? I don't want to come back to the breath. What does it mean that I don't want to come back to the breath? Oh, shut up. <laughs> You're just sitting. Just sit. Oh. Why is it we can't sit? Why is it we can't be present in our experience, in our life? So meditation practice can be that. 
It could be practice to be present in your life. And if you're present in your life, then everything that you think you want in your life becomes actually apparent and available. Oh, yeah, sure, we're all capable of coming up with something we'll never get, of course, and torturing ourselves that way. And meditation won't bring that to you. I still have that 20 pounds going on. I know it's more than 20 pounds, but I'd be happy <laughs> if it was just the 20 pounds, right? You know, I'd be happy with that. But you know what? I have to learn that I need to be happy without that. If I could be happy without that, chances are I'd get really what I want. I'd be able to figure out how to have what I want because I'd be working with somebody that I liked instead of working against somebody that I don't trust or don't like. We could become an ally with our own body, an ally with our own mind. In fact, there's a book I recommend, Turning the Mind into an Ally. Brilliant meditation manual. And that's the point, that we could actually begin to work with our mind begin to wake up enough that we become friends with ourselves. It's like we have, a, we have a partnership with our own being. Instead of a really bad relationship that we're locked into, like a bad marriage with ourselves, Waking up in the morning and wishing we weren't there. Wishing we were somebody else. Subtly. Oh, I'm happy. My life's cool. I'm good. I'm good. But really subtly wishing we were someone else. We could fix ourselves and change ourselves. What are we telling ourselves by that? What if we just woke up tomorrow and said, I'm good. I'm great. I'm basically profoundly brilliant. Wonderful. And everything else that I want to work toward is an enhancement of that, an expression of that. Wouldn't that be a much more effective way to go about your spiritual journey. Believing that you are worth it, believing that you are valuable, believing that you are actually there already, it was a matter of just clarifying that. Rather than believing you're so hopelessly fucked up that nothing could help you, and you've got to show up on these Tuesday nights <laughs> to try to get pointed in the right direction. <laughs> you already are in the right direction. You're facing the east. Every moment we face the east, which is to say the idea of the rising sun, which is to say the idea of creating new, spontaneous, and different ways of looking at our life instead of the same old crap. We could actually wake up and begin to look at things in a way that's spontaneous. How do we do that? By coming into our body fully and completely, coming into that form and embodying ourselves. Perfect imperfect, beautiful, not so beautiful, old, young, doesn't matter. Whatever it is to be part of it, rather than try to be pulling away from it. When we pull away from it, we squeeze it. When we squeeze the body, the mind goes in all these different directions, and then it's got all these ideas, and then all we could do is sit in with our friends at a bar spinning around going, well, if I only had this, if I get on OkCupid, okay, then I'll... And he texted me, and I didn't text him back because I didn't want to look too eager. And so I was like... Shut up. Just shut up and live. You know? Just, like, stop strategizing it. Just text him and say, I think you're hot. <laughs> if he doesn't text back... Text somebody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you just, you know, 
I think that, you know, we, we, let's get on with it. Let's just get on with it and stop, like, worrying about it and strategizing it. The key, then, isn't to stop the mind. You can't look at yourself and go, stop, stop thinking too much. The key is really to come into the body. I do coaching with people. I do coaching with people. Always what you're dealing with is fear, people's fear. I'm frightened. I have a fear of flying. I have a fear of bridges. I have phobias. I have fear of success. I have fear of love. I have fear of rejection. I simultaneously fear commitment and rejection. <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Fears are fears. Right? They don't have to make sense. But they also don't have to limit us. They don't have to control us. The key, then, isn't the brain. You don't tell yourself, you know, it's like a frightened child. There are no monsters. Monsters don't exist. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, kid believes the monsters are there, right? What does the kid want? To be held, to be heard, to be understood. Probably to stay up late. Not have to go to bed. Whatever game they're playing. They want to be part of it. They want to be understood. And I think our fears are the same way. If we could accept them instead of trying to run away from them, if we could be part of them and embody them, right? we then accept them, then we can actually move beyond them or move with them. Does that make sense? Like you take the little frightened child along with you. Here's the key. If your fear arises inside you, it triggers something in your body, a little reptile part of the brain that doesn't really know anything except, ah, ah, or ah, ah. It just wants to hump or it wants to fight or it wants to run. Right? It wants something very basic. And when we get frightened, we trigger that, and this panic starts to happen in our body. When the panic happens in our body, we don't sit still. We jump off the spot. The brain starts thinking, wow, there's a problem. I've got to solve the problem. That's what brains do, right? Brain rolls up its sleeves and starts trying to figure it out, takes all the pens out of its pocket, and you know, gets on its little calculator and just tries to figure stuff out, right? I'm going to figure it out. So this is what's happening. Our body is like, ah! Our emotions are freaking out, like running under the bed, scared. And our brain is spinning around in circles trying to figure it out. Well, if I only had the right love, if I only have the right one, or maybe meditation will help. I don't know. That'll help. I'll sit here and meditate. Okay, now I'm meditating. Wow, now I'm spiritual. Oh, this is so cool. I really feel the light. I feel the light. Wow. Meanwhile, our body is freaking out. It's a reptile in our body just wants to bite something. Integration is what we're talking about. Joining heaven and earth is what we're talking about. <sighs> opening the heart, opening the body, so that our experience can become real, full and rich, not just spinning around in circles, that actually we could begin to see Oh, it is right here. I have what I need right here. This is my life. Yes, it sucks. Yes, it's boring. Yes, it's not as cool as I think it could be. But it's what it is. And until we accept what it is, we don't go anywhere except spinning around in circles looking for something better. Does that make sense? It's like opening up to the heart and going, I'm really frightened. Opening up the stomach and going, wow, I'm really holding on here. And beginning to see the fullness and richness of our experience. The title, Crying to the Sky, the power of 
prayer in a non-theistic tradition. That's one subtitle that I've used. Or the power of belief or faith in a materialistic world. What's so bad about believing that we could open up to something grander and richer in our experience? Well, the problem is if we have to deny ourselves to do that. If we believe that that's out there and we're here and we're somehow bereft and there's something bigger than us. The idea is, what if we were that thing that we're opening up to? What if we were a manifestation of the mind of God? What if we truly were that, instead of just talking about it? What if we were the brilliance of the universe? What if we were all of those things? And that actually we didn't have to be embarrassed to open our heart and say, I need help right now. I need to wake up right now. I'm tired of spinning around. If we were to do that, we might engage the whole body. In the Buddhist tradition, they use the word devotion, bhakti in the Hindu tradition, in the yoga tradition, right? But also, Christianity has their version of it, the idea of opening up. I was brought up Pentecostal. Well, we would just scream and yell and flail about and become saved, right? But what was that really? I thought about that. What was it that was really happening? was we were opening up our body channels, right? We were having a full tantric experience. We didn't know that. We thought it was the Holy Spirit coming inside us. But actually what was happening was we were feeling the spirit of the universe because we were opening up to it. There's three levels of experience. One is in the body. One is in the emotions or the inner body, the expressive body. And one is in the mind. And when something amazing happens in your life and all those things come together at once, it's a profound experience. When somebody walks in the door and you fall in love with them immediately, all of a sudden your body is open, all of a sudden your heart is open and your mind is present. Does that make sense? Conversely, when something terrible happens in your life, the same thing, all of it coming together on the spot. They say birth and death these things happen. We're not strategizing anymore. It's beyond us. It's bigger than us. And we just completely open to it. But we don't just open our mind to it. We open our whole body, our heart, our experience to it. Crying to the sky. This idea that we actually can touch the sad, lonely, and broken parts of ourselves and open them up completely as a source of power and communication to the world. But if we're holding on a little bit, if we're a little skeptical, then we're like, yeah, okay, I'm falling in love, but we're not really in our body, you know? Kind of wonder why relationships don't work, because you're sitting there going, I think you're wonderful. But your body's going, hmm, I don't know, right? <laughs> and your stomach's tight. <laughs> and we feel that. We feel that in each other, right? What we're talking about is the full experience of opening the body, the heart, and the mind to our life, not just our brain but fully and completely coming into the system and opening it up as if you had completely fallen in love or as if you were completely in agony or as if your heart was broken beyond repair. Let me tell you this. Having had my heart broken, it's never beyond repair. 
each time it just gets bigger and wider and stronger and deeper and richer if you keep moving forward, if you keep opening. Bring something into your heart, your mind, that makes you happy. Just something that makes you happy. Something real. Something that, not something you'll get someday maybe, or something somebody else has, but something in your life that you love and appreciate. And just feel that love and warmth in your heart. Now there's a percentage of people, I know always, that is thinking, okay, this is bullshit because life isn't really this. I'm not just going to believe happy things because life is not happy. But you know what? If you spend 12 hours of your day walking around bitching about things, you can spend five minutes right now just doing the opposite, reprogramming the mind to accept joy, to accept love. It's just as real as the complaint. And we spend so much time in complaint to actually spend a little bit of time and just let ourselves fall in love with ourselves. Well, try it again. Bring that image into your heart and just feel that, something beautiful and warm. And just breathe that and let that move through your body. Spread like wildflower. <laughs> Wildfire. <laughs> or wildflowers through your body like light, like breathing in light, hope and possibility. But what you're really doing, for the rational among you, and I still want to win you over, is actually changing the chemical makeup of the mind, right? And connecting it to the body. So this practice is to actually bring yourself in touch with the energetic quality of the body, the interior, opening up, letting yourself really open up the capillaries, the nerve endings, open up the respiratory, circulatory, and nervous systems, and letting everything just sort of open in the body. Breathe out with me. In this, specifically, the tantric traditions in Tibet, uh, which this school sort of stems from, they talk about body, spirit, and mind as these three different planes of communication. And they have visualizations where they actually open up the body having a white light in the forehead, the spirit having a red light in the throat, and a blue light for the mind and the heart, the integrated mind, right, in the heart. And that those things open up in order to receive the transmission, if you will, the brilliance, the sort of power of the universe, or open us up to the very practical magic of our life. So if we're thinking about it, but our body is shut down, we're not really receiving. Does that make sense? So very classically in the Buddhist tradition, you will have heard these stories about the different vessels. The upturned vessel can't receive the water, right? The upside-down vessel, the cracked vessel won't hold the water. 
and the dirty vessel will poison the water. So that actually we create this purity of our experience where the body is open, still, and holding space for the heart to really receive the transmission. Does that make sense? And then all the mind has to do is be there and pay attention, follow along. That balance point where the mind is completely awake, the body is still, and the heart is open, right, is the key. That's the gateway to sort of a spiritual experience of joining your present life with the magical or the divine or the spiritual, if you will. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, we actually can open up to the power of our life from that point of view. We can't hold that. You'll see that within a couple of minutes when you start talking again, you'll get gnarled up and all the energy will get confused again and you'll be spinning back and forth and having fun. You'll like that. It'll be, that'll be fun. It's much less fun to be open, naked, and vulnerable, isn't it? Life is, you know, that difficult that you have to concentrate all the time. You can just relax and be part of it. You know, trees don't concentrate on being trees. <laughs> Flowers don't sit there and go, oh, I have to bloom. Oh. <laughs> what if somebody, what if somebody doesn't love me? <laughs> I think you have the confidence of a three-legged ugly dog, right? It just doesn't care and just is like, I love you, you know? <laughs> And, you know, what if we could just do that and just stop worrying all, you know, so much and just let ourselves open. And the thing is, is that we've been trained since we were little kids. Our parents didn't, you've heard this joke before, some of you, sorry. But your parents didn't, our parents didn't wake us up going, wake up, little Buddha. Your life is calling. They were like, get the fuck out of bed. <laughs> we're going to be late. Right? And they loved you, so they instilled fear in you because they'd rather have you be frightened than, you know, die in a car accident or some horrible thing, right? Our whole s species is so successful, probably a little too successful from the point of view of the planet, because fear is so ingrained in who we are because we're smart, we're careful. We've had so much training in shutting down and not believing and not really wanting to be part of things so that we don't get hurt. So it takes training daily, and I recommend that you do it and you start tomorrow and just try it, training to begin to look at the love of life, begin to look at the hope and the possibility. Not to say the danger isn't there, not to all of a sudden be like, oh, okay, I have flowers in my hair. I'm going to hug people. It's not that. The fear, the cynicism, the cautiousness will always be there. But spend a little bit of training, 10 minutes a day in your meditation, to let the heart open and see the possibility of things. Just to give yourself a more rounded approach to life. Does that make sense? Not to believe stuff that isn't real, but the panic and chaos isn't real either. The fact that you're a fuck-up is definitely not real. That's an old story. Start to begin to see the possibility of new stories is my recommendation. And I would recommend positive stories as a way to begin.
to uh, change the paradigm, right? <laughs> That's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.